You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Again, I've entitled the message, Following Fervently. And following people can be hard, it can be dangerous. But one of the reasons that I believe we sometimes follow others is because the other person we're following knows something we do not know, or at least they should know. I think we can all agree we've followed people sometimes to a dead end. (laughs) Um, But then there are also other times we've followed people and they've led us in the right direction. I recall a time when I was fishing a tournament down in Louisiana, and we were needing of getting across this big bay of water. Well, if you've never been to Louisiana, there is a lot of debris in the water, a lot of stumps and concrete barriers and rocks. And um, matter of fact, we actually tore the foot off of our boat the last tournament we were there. And we had to replace that. But there was this bay we needed to get across, and it was full of debris, posts sticking up everywhere. And it was like thousands of them. We're like, there's no way we're going to be able to get over here to over here without hitting something. And uh, you run right across there, you're going to tear off your motor at worst. You're going to be thrown out of the boat and drowned to death. And so there was this one gentleman who heard us talking about it, and it was music to our ears. He said, well, I've lived here for years. I can get you across that bay. And if you know anything about boats, they have this little unit called a GPS unit. And if you can get over there, it'll make that track, and you can just simply follow it back. And so he did. He took us across. He said, but here's the catch. You cannot come off a plane. You have to stay close, right behind me, and when I go right, you go right. When I go left, you go left. And we did that all the way across the bay. We made it safe and sound. It was scary, but we indeed made it. Swerving in and out of those bars. I mean, you could literally see concrete barriers in the water as you're going. And we trusted this young man, and he got us across the trees and the rocks, and we ended up having a great trip. No one died going across. Listen, following fervently the one who knew the way was the ticket to getting across the bay for us that day. I want to ask you this morning, who is it that you're following? Who is it that you're following? In our passage of Scripture today, we're dealing with the same train of thought. The concept of following fervently. And while we don't know, while we didn't know our way across the sound, the guy we did simply said, follow me, and we did. Who are we following? Are you following a culture? Are you headed in a direction that will lead you to despair? Following the fool that will that wants to take you with him because he does not want to be alone in his or her foolishness? If you recall, Peter has been tested by the Lord. And Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter understood that his love for Christ must precede his 
leading of the people. If you love me, feed my sheep. But we must first understand the need and the necessity to love the Lord before we can follow Him properly. And for Peter, it was to obey the call of God on his life to lead his people. Peter would have to learn to follow fervently. No matter where it would lead him. No matter where it would land him. And I would suggest that the same goes for you and me today. That we need to, we must learn to follow fervently the Lord Jesus Christ. So who is it that you're following today? Now don't say Jesus if you haven't met with Him all week. I couldn't say to that guy in that boat that was driving me across the bay, hey, I'm following you, but I have no idea where He is because I don't see Him and I'm on my own journey trying to navigate. Don't say Christ if you haven't had fellowship with the Father. Listen, following Christ is like following that man across the bay. He knew the way and we had to stay close to Him. We couldn't even let off the throttle. And so, who is it? What is it you are following today? Three things I want us to grasp from this text. Number one is that following fervently takes faith. Secondly, following fervently takes focus. And thirdly, following fervently takes facts. Let's consider first that following fervently takes faith. Listen, we had to trust in this guy who knew something we didn't know to make our way safely across this bay. We, we could have all died that day. I mean, that wasn't the case. We survived. But the reality is, is we literally put our life in this man's hands. Peter has been speaking with Christ. Jesus has been trying to get him back on track and being about his business. And as we approach verse 18, we, we learn that following Christ fervently, one will have to have trust. And one will have to have a total dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, in absolute faith of His divine ability, the ability of the God the Son. Jesus says in John 21, 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you. Bring you where you wish you do not go. There's a twofold reality in this passage for Peter and even us today to take hold of. First, we, we need to, if we are going to follow fervently, we need to understand who Christ is in the character of Christ. Number one is we need, we need to understand that He is all-knowing. Christ is God in flesh. He is not all uh, only all-knowing, but He is what? He is totally sovereign over our lives. Look over at Ephesians. For those that may be new, flip from John to the right. Galatians, Ephesians, you can memorize that section by Great Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. 
Verse 11 says, We have obtained an inheritance, praise the Lord, for those who are in Christ, having what? Been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things together after the counsel of His will. Not, not some things, not a few things, all things after the counsel of His will. I was listening this morning to Paul Washer. And Paul Washer said, there is a time in life in, that as a pastor, many people have come to him and said, I feel empty. I, I, I believe in God, but, but I don't hear from God. I, I feel empty and I feel like there's a dead end. And Paul Washer said, yet you believe. He said, I tell you what, did you drink before you were a Christian? Yeah, oh yeah, I used to go out and get drunk. He said, tell you what, go out and go party it up. Go have a big town, a big night on the town. Get drunk. I, I could not do that thing. What do you mean you can't do that thing? Because of my God. So what you're telling me is you believe in a God in that moment in which you feel empty. You do not hear from Him. You do not understand what He's doing. Yet you still believe. My friends, that's a beautiful thing. The Christian life is not always hunky-dory and that God is speaking to you in flames of fire and smoke. No, sometimes the mundane Christian life is deafening. It's dark. It's quiet. And yet... A man who is in the darkness and has no light yet still believes? That shows us, doesn't it? That even in that moment, God can grow us. He's sovereign, my friends. Whatever you bring this morning, he, He's in total control. Look over in the life of Job. Flip back to the book of Job. Go to Psalms and flip back one book. Job chapter 42. When you find it, say amen. Job 42, verse 2. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Is God in control? <laughs> yes, He is. God rules, my friends. There are really three attributes that, that speak to the character of Christ and prove His ultimate trustworthiness. Because really, that's what, it, that's what matters, isn't it? We, we follow those we trust. Is God trustworthy is the question. Well, three attributes that speak to that. But first, we must understand, I believe, who Christ is in His deity. In His deity. That Jesus, we need to understand, is God in flesh. And thus, when we say God is this or that, these truths are also in total, complete unity with each person of the Godhead. If the character of God the Father is this, then the character of God the Son is that as well, and the character of God the Holy Spirit is that as well. 
What is true of the Father is true of the Son. What is true of the Son is true of the Holy Spirit in relation to their character. God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father. There are three distinct persons in the one God. We need to understand that Jesus is trustworthy. Why? Because the Scripture says God is truth. And if God is truth, then the Son is truth. And there is nothing. There is nothing false in Him. There is nothing manipulative about Him. There is nothing deceptive about Christ. And thus, God is truth. Thus, Christ is truth. Jesus already said in John 14, 6, What? I am the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father but through me. Christ is truth, and thus He's trustworthy. But He is not only truth, He is holy. God is holy. The Bible says that He has no part in sin. You remember years ago, the first year or so we were here at this church, we planted, we had the students meet here for the homeschool day, and we would teach them, and I was teaching the Bible, and we we memorized together the 62nd gospel. God loves you, number one. What was number two? But God hates your sin. God hates your sin. Remember, anybody remember the verse? Psalm 5, 5. Flip over there. Psalm 5, 5. When you get there, say amen. amen. Well, I ain't there yet. Y'all going to have to wait. <laughs> Psalm 5, 5. Y'all start in verse 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in the wickedness. In wickedness. No evil dwells in you. That's holiness. There's not one person in this room. Listen, not one person in the sound of my voice. I don't care how long it is before you hear this. You may be watching live in here right now, sitting in the seat. You may be sitting in the overflow. You may be watching this live on PTRC television. You may be watching it on the website. You may, I don't know when you're going to watch it, but know this. Not one person in the sound of my voice ever can say that of themselves, that they are without wickedness. Because given enough time, enough opportunity, we will fall in our sin. Because we're in the flesh. We're in the process of sanctification. We ain't glorified yet. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in weakness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. Listen, God is holy. And he has no part in sin. And the holiness of Christ is related to the deity of Christ. Jesus is fully God, and yet he's fully man. The theological terminology that we use is called the hypostatic union of Christ. There's a big fancy word for you. And it's a doozy. How can Christ be fully God and yet fully man? 
We can't so deify Christ as to remove His humanity and we can't so humanize Christ so much as to remove His deity. John 8, 58 says, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. What did they try to do at that? They tried to stone him. They've done this before. Why? Not because he has done anything wrong other than making himself out to be God. He says in Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Says the what? Lord God. Who's speaking? Ask the Jehovah's Witnesses. What will they say? God. They have to say God. Because they believe there is but one God, which we do too. We believe in monotheism, not polytheism. But if you get into it deep enough, oh, they have to deny that because their Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Bad interpretation of the original Greek. No, we don't worship a God. We worship God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And here we say, this is Jesus talking. How do we know that? Because when we look at Revelation 1, 8, and we fast forward just a few verses later in the same chapter, in the same context, what does it say in verse 17 and 18? When I saw him, John speaking, I fell like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, do not be afraid. What did he say? I am the first and the last. That's the Alpha and the Omega. The first letter of the Greek alphabet and Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the first and I am the last and the living one. And I was dead. I love it. I look at Jehovah's Witness and say, are you telling me God died? No. Christ died. And Christ claimed to have All authority and deity. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. My friends, we have to understand the deity of Christ. Jesus not only shows it in there, but He shows it in the fact that He accepted worship. If He's not God, He he certainly accepted worship. That would be heretical. I mean, if you worship me, what would you say? You shouldn't worship me. I'm not, I'm mere man. We worship God and God alone. <clears throat> he says in Matthew 2, 11, after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And what'd they do to the baby Jesus born into Bethlehem? They fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, They presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. He also accepted worship on Palm Sunday. In John 12, 13, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and began shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Listen, Jesus declared that he and the Father are the same Divine essence and nature in John 10, 30, when he says this simple term, I and the Father are one. The prophet Isaiah called him what? 
In Isaiah 9, 6, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And just in the last chapter in John 20 that we looked at old Doubting Thomas, he places his fingers in the hands and the side of Jesus. And what does he say? My Lord and my God. In the very beginning of John's Gospel, he, his Gospel accounts, he claims his deity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, not a God. He was in the beginning with God. We are told that the Word later in that same chapter, what? Became flesh and dwelt among us. To deny His deity is to deny His holiness. And if you're going to deny His holiness, you're going to deny Him altogether. Listen, He is what the old, I can't even remember who wrote it, but He says that Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. He's either a lying man, he is either a lunatic, or he's indeed God in flesh. That's the only option. He's not a good man if he claims to be God. He's a liar. And if he thinks he's God and he's not God, he's a lunatic. You don't believe me? If I got up here and told you I was God, you'd say, get out of the pulpit, you're crazy. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's a Lord. So yes, Christ is... Holy. Christ is truth. But the third character that proves His deity, proves He's trustworthy, is the fact that God is immutable. He does not change. He is the same today, yesterday, and always. And we need to understand that Christ is all-knowing. That Christ is God in flesh. That He is not only all-knowing, but He's totally sovereign. He's totally trustworthy. Why is this important for Peter? Why is this important for you and for me? Because, listen, if you are going to follow fervently, you must have faith. And if you are going to have faith, then you have to believe in His absolute trustworthiness. Because you can't follow someone you don't trust. I can't follow someone that I don't trust. Peter is going to understand that following Christ will not be easy. And he will have to trust him with his very own life. In John 21, 18a, the beginning there, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. Peter, you were in control. <laughs> he, gird there means to dress. He dressed himself. And you walked wherever you wanted, Peter. You had control of your life. So you thought... But in John 21, 18, the latter part of verse 18b says, But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. This is divine ability. This is God in flesh understanding the future of Peter. Someone else, Peter, will make your decisions. Someone else will dress you, maybe not in the clothes you want to wear, and they will walk you and take you where you do not want to go. Listen, Peter, you will die for me. You will die by way of crucifixion. History has it that Peter was crucified, 
but he was crucified upside down because he pleaded that he didn't feel uh, uh, well enough, good enough to be crucified in the same manner as Christ. And in case there's any doubt of what Jesus is talking about, I love how John gives us the commentary on what he has just said. As he comes to verse 19, he says, Now he said this, signifying by what kind of death that he would what? Glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Follow me, Peter, to your death. I love that. Even in his death, he would glorify God as a martyr. Dear friend of mine, just this week lost his dad from cancer. But I'm here to tell you, as I watched this man deteriorate, he was a soldier for Christ. He continued even in his suffering to point his son in the right direction in how to respond against gossip and slander and to honor Christ by proclaiming the gospel until the day he gave his last breath. Oh, I pray that by God's grace that every single one of us will be able to, like Peter, glorify God even in the way we die. Because I'm telling you, it has been appointed for man once to die and then comes the judgment. You will not live one day outside of God's sovereign timing, my friend. And the older I get, the quicker I realize it's coming. May we live our lives like Peter, willing by faith in order to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, in order to follow fervently, you must have faith in Christ. But what kind of faith would it take to know that you would die by the same manner your Savior did? And Christ to look you in the face and say, still follow me. Hey, come across this bay with me. But you're going to hit this. You're going to be thrown from the boat and you're going to die. But follow me across. No way, I would have never followed him. But isn't that what Jesus is asking us to do? To follow him? Even if it costs us our lives? You must be willing to give it all up for the sake of Christ. What Jesus meant was be my disciple, be my apostle, and such as follow me in service, and, and follow me in your suffering and in your death by being willing to endure affliction even the martyrdoms for my sake. It was a renewed call. After he had denied Christ, remember, this was a renewed call to follow in his discipleship to the duties of the apostolic office. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, but it will cost you your life. We live in a day when we can't even sacrifice a Wednesday night to come to church. And if we're going to be honest, somebody, some of you, haven't been to church in over a year. 
I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you're here. But let's just be honest. If we're not willing to come to church and make sacrifices for the Lord Jesus Christ, do we think we would be bold enough to give our lives for Him, knowing it's coming? Only God can grant that kind of faith, my friends. To follow well, it will take faith. It will take sacrifice. It will cost you something. Everyone in the Bible who ever followed Christ, it cost them their life. Take up your cross, what? Daily and follow me. Die to yourself daily and follow after me is what Jesus said. Not in your methods, not in your abilities, in a total dependence on Christ to believe by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ that will cause you to take a step when there is nothing there. And by faith, you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, even if it kills you. That's the kind of faith that I want. It's not, I haven't arrived yet. We're all on a journey. But by God's grace, by God's mercy, we will follow fervently because we have faith in Christ, because we know who He is. Do you have faith today? Do you trust in the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your... The, the, the Hebrew word there is, is, is your entire being with your mind, with your soul, with all of your strength. It will take following fervently because of faith. It will take die, to die willingly for the glory of God. I'm sorry nobody told you that before you came to Christ. I'm sorry that somebody sold you a bill of lies that your life would be perfect, that you would have no more pain, that you would have no more sufferings, that, that you would have everything you wanted, that prosperity gospel that's permeating our culture. I'm sorry that you've been fed a, a bill of lies like Andy Stanley. <laughs> I, I know many of you know him, but do you know him? Do you know what he's teaching? He's a liar. Because he doesn't teach the scriptures. He won't even say that God said, no, P Peter said. No, no, the word of God says, Peter said what was God had breathed out to Peter through the power of the Spirit. No, when you follow Christ, my friends, it will cost you everything. It will cost you your life. It will cost you your marriage. It will cost you a relationship with your children. You don't think so? Just ask those who have gone through a divorce because they came to Christ and their family left them because they didn't want anything to do with their religion. Go ask somebody who has pulled out from a cult and they lost everybody they knew. It costs you everything. If you're loved by the world... You're not on the right track. Because the gospel is foolishness to those that are perishing. It's going to take faith. 
But I would like for you to consider also that following fervently will take focus. You can't follow Christ well while worrying about everybody else. Now, as a pastor and as pastors, we have responsibility to shepherd folks, to encourage, to challenge, to build up. But you know what I've had to learn? Because I, when, when I look across the church and uh, the, the place isn't packed. I, I mean, like standing room only. It, it gives me indigestion at night. And I've had to learn that Stuart has to worry about Stuart's walk. Stuart has to be concerned with Stuart's walk with Christ. Stuart can't be worried about who hasn't been to church for the last year. Stuart can't be worried about who, who doesn't pay their tithes. Stuart can't be worried about who doesn't read their Bible on a regular basis. Who doesn't pray? Who doesn't witness for Christ? Doesn't mean that we don't reach out. Doesn't mean we don't pray. Doesn't mean we don't contact you and encourage you. But at the end of the day, that's between you and God. And I can't fill the seats. I could dress up like a clown and do a little circus. We'd probably be packed out. We'd suspend from the ceiling and have Tony up on the drums up there and, you know, Jerry up there with the dobro suspended from the ceiling. Look at Jerry. High and lifted up. People would come. I could, t- I could, I could say, you know what? It's okay living your lifestyle. God loves you the way you are. Oh, really? That's not what I just read in Psalm 5.5. So either you're a liar or I'm dumb. But if I didn't teach on sin, we'd be okay. The people would come. But that's not our job, is it? We have to focus on what it is God has called you to do and me to do. Because if I focus totally on you, I'll go and forget about my own progressive sanctification by which God has to grow me in my life like He does in yours. He has to correct my own sin by which I have, by the way. I'm not perfect. I'm sorry if you've been somewhere under somebody who's perfect. I ain't perfect. I ain't the man who I used to be, but I ain't the man who God is finished with yet. That'll happen at glorification. That's what Peter's doing. Peter's being sanctified. You have to be sanctified. You have to grow in sanctification, becoming more like Christ. By which Hebrews 12.14 says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Does it get any clearer than that? If you were born in Christ here, and you fast forward to here, and there is no change, I ain't God. But the Bible says you are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new have come. If you was born here, you ain't going to be the same here. There's going to be change. I didn't say a lot of change. I ain't 
the judge on how much change has happened. But I can tell you, if I personally said, oh, I had an encounter with God and God saved me and I'm here 20 years later and ain't nothing changed, I'm going to go back and go, I need to be saved again because God ain't done nothing in me. Progressive sanctification, continually growing in Christ, must be our desire individually. And I have to focus on what it is that God is doing in my life. This is what Peter's doing. He is taking his eyes off of what Christ wants for him. Because why? He's worried about somebody else. He's worried about somebody else. Verse 20. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Evidently, Jesus and Peter are walking and talking. You can't follow somebody if they ain't moving. And Peter turns around looks behind him and he sees old John. The one whom had leaned back on his bosom at supper and said, Lord, who is it going to betray you? See, in that moment, the very John is doing the same thing Peter's doing here. He, he's worried about somebody else rather than himself. And so, verse 21, Peter seeing him said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? What about John? Yes, I understand that I will die. Yes, I understand I'll be carried away where I do not desire to go, that someone else would dress me, and, and, and I will stretch out my hands. And... But what about John? Peter's cost of discipleship will be high. But what about him, Lord? Jesus could have said anything he wanted in response to Peter's question. But he, his answer speaks loudly, doesn't it? Even in our lives today. Jesus simply says in modern terms, none your business. You've been told about you. And what you really need to do, Peter, is focus on your own walk with me. Right? Not so much about everybody else. Because when you stand before the Lord, they will not be there for you. You will be alone with the Lord. And so, I think that's important for us. Because we can be so critical of others while yet living a life of sin. The old saying is when you point a finger at somebody else, there's three pointing back at you. We need to focus on our lives. Are we being sanctified individually? It's God's business to sanctify each person. We shouldn't, not that we shouldn't hold them accountable or we should not encourage them or bring them to the table on their sin. If you see me in sin, come to me. Sometimes you don't see your own sin, do you? You need a brother to come alongside of you, a sister to come to you and tell you about what they see in your life. Rebuke? I mean, that's what Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for, for reproof, for correction, and what? Training in righteousness. When my kid goes to stick his finger in the light socket, I go, hey, don't do that! Why? Because I'm training him. That's going to kill you, bro. Don't do that. 
But when it comes to Christianity and it's like somebody's looking at pornography or in an immoral relationship or in a godless lifestyle, we just, oh, it's okay. God loves you the way you are. No, we need to hey, wait a minute. The wages of sin is death. Same thing. Death. I'd rather die by light socket than die eternally separated from God. So what's more important? Yelling at your son not to touch the socket or going after somebody who's living in sin and saying, stop it. Stop it. Peter's worried about this man. Jesus says, if I want him to retain, verse 22, Jesus said to him, if I want him to, to remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Again, there's the term. Follow me. Peter, stop looking at what John's doing. And you personally follow me. Stop worrying about your mom and your dad's faith, your grandparents' faith, your brothers' and your sisters' faith, and stop wor start worrying about your own faith. Don't be trying to be the judge of your wife or your husband. You, you, you have enough worries in your own self. You, you have a log sticking out of your eye. When you're trying to pull a splinter out of theirs, we have to be very careful that we don't lose focus on what it is Christ has called for our lives. If I want him to remain now, what's that to you? Follow me, Peter. You, Peter, stay in your lane, bro. Focus on your task, your calling, and let Christ worry about everybody else. And that's really the reality in the life of the church, isn't it? Some are called to pastoral ministry. Some are called to to a martyr's crown. Some are given a long and fruitful life. You ever met somebody that's like, this young man dies at 30, 40 years old, and this guy is like 80, and he should have been dead 40 years ago. Sometimes God gives fruitful lives, longevity. While others are called to be faithful in serving, some to give to the glory of God, whatever it is He's called you to, it's all for the glory of God. And we must focus on what the Lord has for us, not what He has for John Peter, lest we become dissatisfied. I mean, think about that. What if... What if Jesus would have said, oh, he's not going to die of crucifixion? Matter of fact, he's going to die a peaceful life. Oh, gee, thanks. I get to die by way of crucifixion. He just gets to have a happy life. You see how that breeds dissatisfaction? But when you are focused on you and accomplishing what God has called you to, then you can be satisfied in that. If it's cleaning a toilet, clean it to the glory of God. Ain't nobody too good to do the lowest deed. If we do it to the glory of God, it is good. <laughs> Peter, you must follow me. Stuart, you must follow me. You fill in the blank with your name. And if you're going to follow the Lord with fervency, you must focus on what it is the Lord has for your life. 
and not what He has for everybody else. Because all those works are important and vital, all of them for the kingdom of God. I mean, look at Job's life. You want to be like Job? We should want to be like Job, right? Because God thought enough of Job to be a faithful servant. Oh, test him. He, 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 he's good. It's okay. God, he's going to trust in me. Could God say that about us? We must worry about us. Because all the works that God has called you to are vital for the kingdom agenda. Now there was a gossip that started and spread after Jesus stated that. But it was totally out of the realm of reality. It was made up. Sometimes in life people make fabricated statements and situations that are not real or they misunderstood somebody and therefore they just show their foolishness by spewing out of their mouth what they don't understand. And that's what we see happening here is a bunch of people are gossiping. They're spewing out a bunch of stuff. They don't have a clue what Jesus was talking about. And so he says in verse 23 to kind of reference that, he says, therefore this saying went out among the brethren that 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 the disciple would not die. That that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I wanted him to remain now until I come. What is that to you? Now, again, there has to be a divine element to that. As if Jesus was in control of not only Peter's destiny, but John's. We need to focus on the faith that we have in Christ. They're clearing up all the gossip that this wasn't what Jesus meant. He simply wanted and cared for Peter. Focus on what you have been called to do for the glory of God, Peter. So we likewise should consider our purpose and focus every day to be about the work for which we have been blessed and the privilege of doing for the Lord's sake. So we need to follow fervently, and it takes faith. We need to understand following fervently takes focus, but lastly, following fervently takes facts. You need to know the truth. Jesus is indeed the truth, and the testimony that we have received from John is reliable. John said in verse 24, this is the disciple whom is testifying to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. The disciple who is testifying to this, I believe, is John, although nowhere in the book of John do we is it specified that this is John, the apostle. It, it just simply says the disciple whom Jesus loved. But we can come out with the definitive that I believe it is John indeed who has written this. He is by humble way not expressing his name. And he's already said in John 20, 31, the thesis statement of John. But these things I have written to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose of the book of John. Really and truly is interesting. A lot of debate on this last chapter of John chapter 21. Critics say this, this was an addition. Because if you really read John 20, 
it, it seems to be the perfect conclusion to the book, which is his whole purpose statement. And then you throw in chapter 21 there, and it seems to be confusing. But in reality, we know that's not the case. It's authoritative, every word of God. But there's always critics. And so he gives us that testimony, he gives us that thesis statement in verse 31. The testimony is true, and the witnesses who stand behind this gospel is indeed, I believe, John. And if we're going to follow, it would be wise to follow that which is truth. The facts. You need the facts. That's why it's important you study the Word of God. Because every word is true. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's true. And it's profitable. And the we involved here is the writer and his colleagues who knew him and encouraged him and may have even contributed to his works as he wrote on their behalf. The testimony is true. The facts. And we are called to follow them fervently. John has certainly given many facts throughout his book, hasn't he? It's been a journey through John. And while we don't know all that he did, because this text says here that there were many things that uh, he did, that if they were written, the whole world can contain them. But if you remember, he said there in John 20, 30, and 31, therefore many other signs also Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not what written in this book. So we have what's written, but there are many things Jesus did that was not written. And then we come to the latter part of the Gospel of John, the epilogue, and we're reminded of that very same thing in verse 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even not the world itself would contain the books that would have been written. That was a lot that was not said in this book that we have, in the Gospel of John. So much that the world itself could contain the books had they all been written. And while there was a lot that we do not have an account for, I think what is important here is that we need to know this. You have been given many facts, my friends, from the Apostle John. What has been revealed, and for those, we must respond to. While the other three Gospels portray Jesus as king, as servant, as son of man, John portrays Jesus as the Son of God. You see, the Bible is very clear from Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in John 1.1, we are told in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dealt among us. God saw the problem before it ever existed. There was the penalty of sin on our lives. Death was the penalty. God saw our need and our separation, and He provided a way through His Son, Jesus Christ, perfect, holy, God in flesh. John the Baptist said it this way in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh yes, God so loved you that He made a way for you. And that way was only through His Son. 
And in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. The world will try to distract you from this truth because the devil is working overtime. But remember John 10.10 says, The thief comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. I came, Christ came, that you might have life and have it abundantly. He came to do the work on your behalf. It's not your love for Him, but His love for you that He saves. It's not your deeds, it's not your efforts, it's your faith in Christ alone. Thus He can say, Jesus in John 10, 27 and 28, My sheep hear My voice. I know them and they, they follow Me. And I give them eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My friends, Christ is your protector. He is your provider. He says in John eleven twenty five and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. Do you believe this? He has given much truth in John. Many facts. And if you and I are going to follow Him fervently, we must believe these truths, these facts, and place our faith in Christ. He's given you these truths, my friends, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing may have life in His name. My prayer for you is that you will believe. That in your believing you will follow fervently for the glory of God, Christ. Following fervently, listen, will require faith. It will require focus. And it will require the facts, the truth, for which Jesus said, Sanctify them in thy truth, thy word is truth. Listen, we have His Word. And it's contained here in the Bible. And it's within this book of John that you have the truth you need to believe and to be saved. And so my encouragement for you today is to call on Him by faith that He has removed the penalty of sin from your life. When you place your faith in Christ, He imputes to you His righteousness and He takes upon Himself your sin so that when God sees you, He doesn't see your sin. He sees His perfect Son, the imputation of Christ. He has removed you from the penalty of sin, but not only from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. There is no temptation that has overtaken you, but that which is common to man. And God has provided a way of escape. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And one day when you trust Christ, and you're born again, and the the penalty and the power of sin is removed, when you die on this earth, which you will unless Christ returns, you will be removed from the presence of sin. And that only takes place in heaven. And the only way to heaven is through Christ. Let us pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. 
and come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.